Perfect. Thank you, Jim. I think I need a whole lot more sound coming out. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Is it coming up? There it is. Ha. That was my fiery lioness warrior bride, Suzanne. Have you happened to notice that the world is shifting pretty rapidly around us? A lot is taking place. History is moving on pretty quickly. You should be noticing a whole lot of shift inside of yourself as well. Uh, because I'll tell you what, more than ever, God is, is getting us ready for, what, for all that is coming. We don't know what's coming. He does. But He knows how to get us ready for what's coming. And so, so much of that is, is uh, getting rid of inconsistencies in our lives that don't match up with who we are in Christ. Uh, but I want to tell you something. No, no matter what you see... Uh, across the earth, whether it's in Japan or anywhere else for that matter. There's all kinds of things happening in the Middle East, everywhere else. Just so you know, there's absolutely no uncertainty as to where all this is heading. Okay, for starters, the bride of Christ is being raised up to be victorious in this time. The Lord's going to make sure of it. The light is going to shine. That's what's going to happen. There's going to come a day really soon, I don't know how soon, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what's going to happen. How we get there, I don't know. You know, we, we know little bits and pieces. We know in part, we prophesy in part. So the Lord gives us some clues. I'm not saying we can be completely clueless. He gives us clues, but we still don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But we do know how it's going to end up. Here's the deal. It is time to know who we are and to walk in our inheritance. It is absolutely time for that. We cannot live defeated when we are not. Okay, I'm going to say that again. We cannot live defeated lives when we are not defeated. We cannot live as victims anymore when we are victorious warriors. That's who we are. We are victorious. We are not victims. We cannot live in bondage when we've already been set free. That's who we are. It's time. God is, I know for a lot of us, there's been frustrations. There's been, you know, beating yourself up, something crazy because, because you're not where you want to be, because you're struggling with the same things. God's saying, church, I'm saying it's time. I'm saying enough. My bride is going to be my bride. He's the one that's going to make sure it happens. 
So this is, I, I had two titles and I couldn't decide, so since I'm the pastor, I chose them both. Um, know who you are and, and uh, loving yourself the way that God does is what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, I want to start with, with a scripture from Second uh, Peter uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. This is in the Mirror Translation. Now check this out. It says, With a faith of equal content as our reference, that would be Christ, we may now increasingly know ourselves the way God has always known us. See, God's given us permission to know ourselves the way He knows us. The knowledge of God realized in Jesus our leader and be overwhelmed by the multiplied effect of grace and peace in our lives. So this is what I got out of this is that I have God's permission to know myself the way he does. I want you to say that with me. I have God's permission to know myself the way he knows me. The way he does. You have his permission to know yourself the way he does. Can you imagine, church, what would happen if we knew ourselves the way he does? Now, some of you might already be shaken a little like, I don't, I don't think I want to know myself the way he does because he knows everything about me and I'm not feeling so good about me. No, you're missing the entire point. The point is he sees who you really are. He knows what he made from before the foundation of the earth. He knows. He knows your greatness. He knows that you have been remade into the image of Christ the moment you united yourself with him forever. That's what he knows. That's what the Lord knows. So this is uh, the next one I want to give you is Romans 8, 29 and 30. This is in the New Living Translation. What does God know about us? What? What's his perspective? Well, this says, For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them, he chose us, to be like his son. Now, in the, in the New International Version, it says he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. You know, that's what it says right there. See, at some point, at some point, you... you each one of us in this room, we have got to decide, you know what, is, does God tell the truth or doesn't he? Because I'm telling you, the things you read in Scripture are outlandish if you actually believe them. But if you believe them, the truth, it will radically change you. You have to agree with his assessment of the truth, though. Here's this same Scripture in uh, the Message Bible. I love this version. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Now look at, just watch how this is all God. This is the same, trans, same verse, just a different translation. He decided from the outset, who did? God did, to shape the lives of those who love them, that's you, 
along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity that he restored. Notice not only that he's doing it all, notice how it's all done, that it's all past tense. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him, in Christ. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. So he, he ahead of time said, this is what you're going to be like. I've made a, a prototype. His name's Jesus. You're going to be just like him. And then he says, but I'm not going to leave that to chance. I will call you into myself. And after he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. That is excellent news. (laughs) Are you getting this yet? My point of all this was we have his permission to know ourselves the way he knows us. But that means we better start knowing what he knows, agreeing with what he says. In Hebrews 2.11, it says that uh, my version in the, in the um, New Jerusalem Bible says that we and Jesus were made of the same stock. I love that. And let me tell you, it's a, a hearty, healthy stock at that. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go back to, um, I'm going to go back to Second Peter again. So now we read, we started with verse 2 a minute ago. Now I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 also in the mirror. Now check this out. God's powerful intervention is the authority behind all of this. This change, this being like Jesus, it's all, all God's powerful intervention. That's how it's going to happen. He gifted us with all that it takes to live life to the full. Because of what God knows, see, this is about, again, about what he knows about us, about our original design, he introduced us, as it were, to ourselves again because it was his intention to restore his glory and his virtue in us. Isn't this amazing? It's his intention to restore his glory, his virtue, which is his goodness in us. What does that mean he introduced, himself, uh, introduced ourselves again? He introduced us to ourselves again. Well, because, because we don't know who we are. He's like, oh, I had an original design for you. Uh, There was this problem called um, sin because of Adam that kind of messed up everybody's understanding of themselves. But when you said yes to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, you become one with him. God says, oh, let me reintroduce you to who you really are. You had temporary amnesia. You forgot who you were. Now it's, start, it's time to start living in who you are. Here's verse 4. His knowledge of us, God's knowledge of us, is the vehicle through which he bestowed the magnitude of his priceless promises upon us. All the promises, you know why they're so solid and so strong? Because it's what he knows about us. He's not wishing and hoping that it happens someday. 
He's like, oh no, this is already done, sealed, purchased, completed. You'll see. I, I already know, but you'll see. The expectation of the promises pointed towards our restored participation in our godly origin. I'm just going to let you think on that one for a minute. I'm going to read another version of it in a second. The expectation of the promises pointed us pointed towards our restored participation in what? In our godly origin. His image and likeness revealed in us. Check this out. The factory settings are restored. Every compatible program is again installed in our hard drive to facilitate the divine nature. What? You know, you say things like this, and honestly, one of the thoughts you might have is, you know, Brent, that sounds a little new agey to me. Guess what? It was ours first. Just because some, someone else, just because the enemy twists something a little bit doesn't mean you throw it out and say it isn't God anymore. It doesn't change the truth. Your divine nature, Christ in you, is he not? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You say, well, that's just Jesus. It's not me. No, you're inseparable. It's... We had, uh, we had one of the pastors, uh, Pastor Rodney Hogue came to our school last year and he took two pieces of clay, red and white, and just went like this and this and this and this until it was real pink, you know? And he said, there. He goes, now separate that. You can't. You and Jesus are inseparable. You're one. It's not you here and Jesus here, you know? Well, here's how it is in the NIV. Check this out. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You know what? I didn't read the end of the last one, which says, thus we have escaped the distorted influence of the corrupt cosmic virus of greed and lust. Somebody in this room needs to agree with that. We have, we, have, we have bought into some really poor theology along the way. A very victimized, defeated, uh, no, powerless people that doesn't reflect who you are in the least bit. This is truth. We Look at that. This is that past tense thing again. We have escaped the distorted influence of the corrupt cosmic virus of greed and lust. Or this one says, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, some of you would look at that and say, Brent, that's just not true. That's not been my life's experience. Thank God that that the truth is not dependent upon our life's experience, but upon what the Lord says is truth and on what Jesus paid for. See, because if you believe that you are powerless and victimized and um, et cetera, et cetera, that these things have a hold on you, well, then they do. 
Because that becomes your reality. What, what you believe becomes your reality. Uh, I'm, I'm going to show you something, though, um, that... Well, here, here's my question. Do, if we, do we really believe that's true? And if so, why does there seem to be a disconnect? Why do we still make really poor choices at times? Because that's what we're doing. We're making really poor choices, which is really entirely different than saying you've got this yucky, horrible nature that you can't do anything about and you're just prone for the rest of your life. Mm, really bad theology. That's just not true. So why do we make poor choices? I'm going to tell you why. Here's, I'm going to tell you our biggest problem. You ready for this? This is all the marbles right here. You already got it in the, in the, uh, in the title today. But here you go. Here's our biggest problem. We don't love ourselves the way God does. I, I could see not much more tonight. And if, you, if, if you would just grasp this, you'd be well on your way to a lot of healing in your life. Because we're looking a lot of other places for why, why God, why, why, why? Lord, I, I, I hate that I do these things. I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to do these things. Do you know that that's actually not true? Let me, let me just explain that a minute. My, my point is, why don't you just start being honest with the Lord and say, I did this because I wanted to. I'm ashamed of it, but I wouldn't have done it unless I wanted to. So God, why don't I love myself the way you do? Where is the disconnect? Why am I destroying myself? And then ultimately people around me why, God, why don't I love myself the way you do? Because I'm telling you, when we begin to take it in this way, the love of the Father, when we, when we begin to believe that we are worth taking care of because we're lovable, because we're his, because we're all the things that he just said we were, when we actually start believing that, it will, it will change it will change the choices you make. First for yourself and then for the people around you. See, a lot of times we're trying to make choices. We're like, oh, I, I hate that I'm hurting so-and-so with my decisions. I want to change for them. No, it's not going to work. Because unless you love yourself, you, you, your change is going to be very short-lived. You'll go back to sabotaging yourself again. Why? Because you don't place the same value on yourself that the Lord does. Which, which again, that, that, that's not a condemnation thing. I'm not now trying to give you one more reason to feel bad about yourself. I'm just telling you that's what's, that's what's going on. And the Lord says, how about we just be really honest for a while? How about no more, no more promises, no more God, I'll never do this again. All that. He's really not interested in that, by the way, at all. Um, you know, no, no more telling him what you think he wants to hear. How about you just be super, super honest with him? You know, Lord, I'm, I'm not sure why I do this. I don't know why I'm in this kind of pain. God, would you show me? What, why don't I love myself? Would you show me? Would you help me, Holy Spirit, to love myself the way you do? Because I'm, I'm tired of hurting myself. I'm tired of hurting people around me. See, now that's honest. 
And he says, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad we can finally just be real with each other. I, I've known what the issues are. I've also known you needed a savior. That's why I sent Jesus. So those earlier verses that talk about how you are in right standing with God, do you know that it means exactly that? It means that so, Jesus so covered you, so covered you, that that fear of, oh no, God doesn't like me, he's ticked at me, I'm, I'll, I'll never amount to anything, those are all lies that are keeping you from the one who, who loves you so much that he says, I've taken care of this sin problem forever. So let's get on with being who you are. Exactly. That was a Selah if I've ever heard one. So how do we love ourselves the way God does? I'll tell you what. First and foremost, only by His grace and His help. Otherwise, it's another self-help program and you've already failed. We have to know Him. We have to know His character. You can't agree with Him if you don't know what He thinks. Ask Him for help. Ask Him questions. Get used to journaling if you don't journal. I'm not talking about what I did, you know, every second of the day. You could do that if you want. That's fine. What I'm talking about is start to dialogue with the Lord. Sometimes we don't think we hear God, and we do. Start with something like this. Just, just ask a question. Start with something like, um, God, or, or Papa, or whatever you want to say. Um, what do you think of me? And then start writing down what you hear. You'll be amazed. You might start out with, I love you, daughter. Love you, son. You know, may start out with some things that are uh, maybe general, though they're, I don't care how general that seems. That's the thing you need to hear anyways. I love you. But, but you'll be amazed. You'll start writing some other things down. And I, I've sometimes written pages where I'm writing as fast as I can. I'm writing faster than I'm really thinking about. Uh, I don't know if that's possible. But in other words, it's not a conscious thing so much as I'm just writing the next thought, the next thought, the next thought. And then I actually go back and enjoy it because I really didn't think about all that much about what I was writing. And I go, wow, that's really good. In fact, sometimes it makes me cry. God likes to do that. You know, when I'm here in, in worship, I'm, I'm pretty exuberant usually, very, very happy camper. A lot of times when I'm with the Lord one-on-one, I cry a lot in a, in a good way. He just tenderizes my heart with who he says I am. So you got to get to know him, but you also have to agree with him. Stop fighting the one who knows everything. Do you really think you're going to win that argument? Well, God, if you really knew me, he's like, yeah, I really know you better than you do. Trust me. You have to get to the place where you are in agreement that you are worth his love. You are worth taking care of. You're worth it. But you have to believe that. I'm worth it. 
What happens when you don't love yourself? You really do make poor choices. We've all been there, myself included. So this isn't finger pointing time. This is encouragement time. This is church rise up time and take your rightful place and agree with Papa time. But let me tell you something about, about our choices. Um, our bad choices I'm talking about right now. Choices that hurt ourselves and hurt others around us. You know, as parents, when you are... Um, as parents, you want your children to do the right things, not because you discipline them to do so, but because you are wanting them to grow up to begin making right choices that are going to impact their life in a positive way. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to help them to make really good choices. You can discipline them at times, and at times you have to. Why is that? Because there are times where when that person doesn't know how to keep themselves safe, you're actually helping to keep them safe even when they don't understand. Guess what? God does the same thing. He does discipline, but Hebrews 12 says he disciplines those he loves. Why would he discipline us? Because we're not safe to ourselves. We're hurting ourselves and we're hurting people around us. And he says, you know what? That's not really who you are. And my heart for you is I'm going to raise you up in, in love in all things in Christ. Ephesians 4. I'm going to raise you up like that to make really good choices. First for yourself, to love yourself, and then watch what happens with the people around you. You're going to start impacting their lives. You're going to start loving them in ways you couldn't before. You're going to start doing the things and taking care of them and being safe for them in a way you couldn't. But he says, if you're not there yet, I will discipline you. I will keep you safe for you. This is Hebrews 12. I believe this is the message again. Uh, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. Right? If you don't quit, you win. Don't drop out. He's treating you as dear, dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live. While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us. So God continues to be our parent, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. The well-trained who, who are growing up in their relationship with the Lord. And you know what that looks like? There's another word for this. It's called self-control. Self-control. <laughs> 
It's also known as self-control. Self-control is listed in Galatians as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Isn't it funny how we think of self-control as um, self-discipline? You know, like, uh, it's all me. Uh, I guess in a sense it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's still Holy Spirit in you, otherwise you couldn't do it. Otherwise it wouldn't be a fruit of the Spirit. It would be a fruit of your efforts, which would amount to nothing. But self-control is saying, because I love myself, I'm making choices that are good for me. I'm actually choosing to love me. And because I love me, I'm going to be able to love you. I'm going to be safe around you. Let me tell you one of the reasons why we need to be safe here. It does have to do with individual relationships, to be sure. But let me tell you something. A harvest is coming. Believe me, this is not an empty promise. I know sometimes we've heard the harvest, the harvest, and so after a while you go, oh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's coming, maybe it isn't. No, it's really coming. And, and uh, so much so, again, some of the world events that are taking place are all going to play right into a huge harvest of souls. One of the words we keep mentioning is, is Bob Jones that, mentioned, that, that talked about very respected prophet, at least in circles that respect prophets. Um, <laughs> he says that uh, a billion souls are coming into the kingdom in this next wave, but that's not even the final harvest. That's just the workers for the final harvest. So let me get back to why it's important that you and I love ourselves so that, this, so that we're safe. Because let me tell you what's going to happen really soon. A whole lot of people are going to be needing safe people to come to who are going to love them and show them Jesus without ulterior motives, without, without saying, hey, I love, you. I love you with Jesus' love, and then we do some, something distorted, perverted, and, and, and totally misrepresent the Lord. Do you see? It's really important that we're safe. Um, in a lot of different ways, not just, not just sexually. I'm talking about all kinds of different ways that we're safe with each other. Well, how do we get safe? Well, the Lord has to help us to love ourselves. That's, that's what's going on right now. Now, sometimes we don't love ourselves because of a lot of pain in our lives. Maybe you heard a lot of lies growing up. Maybe, maybe you were pounded on and pounded on uh, emotionally, physically, sexually in some very inappropriate way to the point where you just don't, you don't believe the things I'm saying about who God says you are. Well, guess what? You've got to be honest with that too and ask the Lord to help you. We do. We have Sozo ministry to help, the inner healing kind of ministry to help you to get through some of those roadblocks. But honestly, mostly this is about you saying, God, I don't want this anymore. I, I, this has held me back for far too long. What, you know what happens when we get... okay. I'm going to talk about covenant just for a second, um, about, about covenant relationships, which means I'm in this for your best, you're in this for mine. That's, that's what, the way God designed any relationships. But covenant relationships happen because two people decide that they're going to choose to, um, to extend love and, um, and to, um, I, I love you because I choose to love you. You love me because you choose to love me. But what happens is, is when one, of, one person gets their heart really, really wounded and they close off and they say, I just can't love. I, it's way too risky. I, I don't want to, 
I can't do that anymore. Well, what happens is, is you get people who try to love you, but you just, there's not a reciprocal relationship. You just can't. You're all closed off. And so you need to ask the Lord, Lord, what is that? What, what is this? Because I know you have the power to soften my heart. I know you have the power to give me the courage to love again. And so ask him for it. God, give me the courage to love again. Soften my heart. Wherever the wounding is, God, that's, that's caused me to close off so that I won't get hurt, God, take care of that. Show me where it is. If I don't even know where it is, show me where it is. Now, you know what happens when you start praying prayers like that? It actually starts happening, which is a little bit scary at first because we're really good at keeping ourselves nice and protected. If we got really wounded in life, we're really good at keeping our walls up. And so when things actually start to come out, things you buried good and deep a lot of years ago that you thought would never resurface, it can be a little scary. And there's part of you that might say, why did I do this? But I'll tell you why, because those buried places were still keeping you captive, even though you were trying to hide them. They are not allowing you to love the way you truly were meant to love. Or to be there for people. See, this, this harvest that's coming in, they need a lot of mothers and fathers in the Spirit. That's, that's all of us. I'll talk about that more on another night as well. But they, they need us. They're going to need us big time. So this is God's invitation right now. This is why there's been a shift going on in your life. For a lot of you, there's been a lot of stuff coming up lately. You're like, I don't, this doesn't feel good, God. I don't like this. He's like, I know. I know, but trust me. Because I'm, see, when he brings something up that you've buried good and deep for a long time, I'll tell you, there's one reason why he brings it up. Because he's going to take it out. He's not just going to bring it up to float it in front of your face and go, ooh, look. He brings it up to take it out. But, but you have to see it in order to ask for his help. See, some things you've buried so deep, you don't even know they're there. And he says, I know this is going to hurt, honey, but take a look. Now, don't you try to do it, but ask me to take care of this. Partner with me. Ask me what, what, what let's, you know, how we work on this together. But this isn't your deal. This is my deal. And we're going to partner and do this together. That's what's happening. But it's for a purpose. You have to keep seeing the greater purpose. If there's no harvest, if there's no whatever, then heck, let's just bury it a little deeper, you know? Until we go home and be with Jesus, because I don't even want to look at that, you know? You know what I'm saying? But, but we can't. There's no, there's no time for that anymore. We've got to be the healthy bride that loves, that is safe to each other. That's what we have to be. So, if we persist in being a two-year-old having a, a temper tantrum meaning we do whatever we darn well want to, then God will discipline, but only because he loves us. However, that's not where we're going to park it. Isn't, isn't Daddy good where he lets us sometimes have those temper tantrums? Do you remember those? I, you know, our boys had them. Just in case you think it's because of I don't know, like you were a bad parent that your kids had a tantrum? No, it's just kind of an age thing. 
Um, but you know what's, what's, uh, what's amazing? After they get it, get it all out, you know, at the end they do, they kind of go, ah, and then they go, ah, you know, they're like done. They're kind of a, you know, a limp mess. And then you come back in, you go, Daddy still loves you. It's all okay. We're right here. So guess what? God lets us sometimes have our little, you know, temper tantrums and crying uh, spasms and forget who we are. And he says, okay, after you're done, let me know because we've got to keep going. So here's what I want to tell you. When I got back to remember that earlier question or the earlier statement about, about how um, the, the, the lust and the sin of this world is, is, is a thing of the past. you remember that? Let me just read it to you from, from just so you can see. There it is. From Romans 6.12 in the message. This means that you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. So what I skipped before I got there was just that we are, uh, that our old selves are dead, dead, dead. When you come to Christ, that old you is dead and gone and buried. That was, that's what baptism is all about. It's reminding you, oh yeah. Uh, baptism is a strong, prophetic act of agreement with the Lord that that old thing is dead and the new you is alive in Christ. So that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. That's right. That's absolutely right. Now, I've, I've mentioned this once before, but in case you weren't here that night or in case you need to hear it again, I want to give you a little tool for your tool belt. You ready for this? So when a thought comes into your head that, that is a, a wayward thought that isn't the Lord, it isn't who you are, it could be anything from a lustful thought to a degrading thought of yourself to... Uh, gosh, I mean, go on and on, you know, rage, all kinds of stuff. Whatever the lies are that isn't you, here's your, little, here's your little tool. You get to say this. Oh, that's not my thought. Let me, let me tell you why this is so important. Because it's amazing how many things... Okay, so some thought comes up that's not you. And the next thing we do is we wrestle with it. We, we own it. We condemn ourselves over it. How could I even have that thought? Oh, we're, we're just like doing all kinds of things with this thought. Or sometimes we're just saying, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do that thing. That's really owning it. But you know what? If you could just take that thought and send it right out the other side as quickly as it came in by saying, oh, pff, that's not mine. I am telling you this actually works. It's, it works because, see, sin, you've heard me say this, but sin is, is not, okay, sin the way the Bible defi- defines it is a noun, not a verb. We use it as a verb all the time. I sinned, I did this, I did that. But it's actually a noun. It's actually this, this entity, this big old ugly entity that, thank you, Adam, came into our lives and you could almost see it as this big thing hanging around your neck called sin. 
Um, Jesus said, you know what? I took that thing off of you and I hurled it some, into some other galaxy. It's not even around your neck anymore. See, that noun called sin is gone. That entity. There's a lot of entities that Jesus took care of. Sin was one of them. So when we go back and we begin to do things that aren't us anymore, that's not, that's not sin as in this active entity, evil entity. That is, that is going back to some patterns and habits that have nothing to do with who you are. And the quicker you believe that, the quicker you're, you're going to move on to who you are. So stop owning, owning it and start sending it right out. Just say, oh, that's not mine. I'm curious to talk to you, some of you after you try this for a while. Because it, it, may, it may be at first you might be scratching your head a little and going, is that right? Um, I, I'll be very curious what you think. Let's see where we are. Um, I'm just about finished up because we're going to do some prophetic ministry in a minute. Um, let, me, let me just finish, though. That um, I talked about if we're not safe, then God has to make us safe. That's, that's true with human relationships as well. So if you don't, if a person, not you, but if a person doesn't love themselves to a point where they're not safe, then others around them are going to have to make sure that they're safe by putting up some boundaries. Not, but let me understand something. Boundaries are not the goal. Boundaries should be very temporary to keep yourself safe from somebody who's not keeping their, their own selves safe. Okay? But the goal is actually coming to a safe place, a community for hundreds and even thousands of people to come and find love and grace and mercy in a very safe place. That's the goal. That's where we're heading as a body of Christ. Here is how it's explained in Galatians 5. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to and destroy your freedom. Remember that little two-year-old I was talking about? Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We didn't talk about that verse yet, but Jesus is the one that said that, right? In other words, how can you love people around you if you don't love yourself? I just explained that, right? So this is an act of true freedom. If you bite others and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? See, we are free to, to say really bad things about each other if we choose to. You could use your freedom that way. It's just that's not love. And, and, and so some, some of that's another place of safety. If you're not safe just with your verbal words, guess what? People start not wanting to be around you. That's actually called a boundary. Hmm, I wonder why people don't want to be around me. So we really need to be super careful that everything we're doing is building up, building up, building up. That's what you do with your freedom. Colossians 3 12 and four through 14 says, So chosen by God for this new life of love, 
Dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. How cool. I wonder if there's any boots involved. <laughs> Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength. Hey, there's that discipline word again. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Ooh, that's a good one. Do you know that Jesus says you will have opportunity for offense? Offense will come. How often? Oh, daily and then some. You know what you get to do with offense? You get to do this. That's what you get to do. Because offense will eat you up. But we'll talk more about that. Forgive us quickly and completely as the master forgave you. That's a good one. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never leave home without it. <laughs> so that's about what I had to say tonight. And um, I do, I do want to encourage you. Again, as God's dealing with stuff in your life, just believe that it's good. 